Okay, we're back at Solidarity Hall uh, and Dorothy's place, our imaginary kitchen that Dorothy Day might have once owned where uh, she and Peter Morin did clarification of thought. Uh, I hope that's the effect we have. I'm here with my pal, Pete Davis. Pete. Oh, hello, you. Elias. So glad to be here again. Our guest is Nate Tenner Williams. And I'm going to explain a little bit uh, in, in the short version of Nate, and then I'm going to let him uh, fill in the blanks here. Uh, according to his website, natemup.com, Nate is the co-founder. This is like new news, right? Nate is the co-founder of Black Catholic Messenger, a brand new media outlet amplifying Black Catholic news and voices. He is also a writer, has been published on uh, Bishop Barron's Word on Fire blog, Mike Lewis is where Peter is. He has become a commentator and speaker on Black Catholic issues in history, multiple podcasts, so we join a long line here. And if that weren't enough, he is also uh, a four-octave tenor vocalist, specializing in jazz, blues, gospel, worship music, and pop. Uh, in fact, to prove this, we will drop a link to his SoundCloud account <laughs> in the show notes. Um, so that's one way of describing Nate. Nate, tell us, uh, unmute yourself there. There you go. And tell us uh, who you are in, in the more amplified version. Uh, two things to start off with. Uh, in my head, the pronunciation of my website name and Twitter account and Facebook URL ending is Natamup. Natamup. Yes. Don't ask me where that came from because I don't really know, but it's <laughs> it's been consistent and that's what matters. All right. Uh, secondly, yesterday I almost deleted the vocalist part off of my website. Oh. Uh, because it's almost unrelated to the other stuff on my website. And I feel like maybe it should just have one focus rather than yeah, you know yeah. everything about me, but I do love to sing and I sing all the time, and yeah. it's hard to hide for anyone that actually. We have me. to show. We have to show part of ourselves to, in our professional lives, so I think it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I guess no, I, so, yes. Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, I I liked it too. It's it's um, I, I mean, it says this is this is a Renaissance sky we're dealing with here. Look out, you know. <laughs> Nate, so I says guess, you. <laughs> Nate, I guess. A good opening question is, you know, this reminds me of Krista Tippett's opening question on On Being, but um, what is your kind of Catholic origin story? How did you, uh, you know, what's your history with the church? Were you, uh, to share with our listeners, were you born into it? Did you join it later in life? Um, and now, you know, I've read that you're, you're discerning the priesthood for the Josephites. And, you know, I'd love to take the journey from how did you come um, to uh, be a, uh, a figure in Catholicism and specifically Black Catholicism. Lord, am I a figure in, in Catholicism? <laughs> uh, well, the part of my history coming into the Catholic Church that I was always aware of is um, this happened in San Francisco. I was Protestant. Uh, that was where I converted to Catholicism. I was raised my entire life as a Protestant. My dad is a Protestant minister. Uh, my mom was a choir director at my Protestant church growing up. So that was all I knew until San Francisco two-ish years ago, where uh, 
I attended an Eastern Orthodox Sunday service kind of on a whim after kind of getting, I guess, burnt out within Protestantism for a variety of reasons. And from there, I kind of uh, fell into the, to the ancient church. I, I had never really known anything about Eastern Christianity before then. I'd been to an Eastern Orthodox wedding, but I mean, it was so strange to me at the time that I never really thought more about it. I was just like, oh, that must be like Catholicism, which I already know is wrong because I was such a principled Protestant at the time. So yeah, once I sat down with the Orthodox priest and started to ask him all the questions most Protestants probably would, I started to really understand that orthodoxy at least is not, you know, this weird far off wrong version of Christianity. And from there, I realized that neither is Catholicism. Uh, so I was on the brink of joining the Eastern Orthodox Church in mm -hmm. 2000 and early 2019, last year. Um, but I did decide to give Catholicism a chance. Almost all my friends in the Bay were Catholic mm -hmm. because my best friend there from school, where I went to university, Pepperdine, lived in San Francisco. It's part of the reason I moved there. And uh, he, who is Catholic, and all of his Catholic friends uh, quickly were trying to convince me now that they knew I wasn't going to be Protestant, that I should become Catholic. Right. So uh, this must have been this must have been quite the service that you went to. What was it about the service? And, and if that's too personal, no need to share. But, you know, that's an amazing moment, you know. No, there's nothing personal about it. Uh, well, I guess there's everything personal about it, but not that I'm not willing to share. <laughs> it was a Christmas Day service. So, um, I mean, I guess a lot of the things that I thought were weird about the wedding I had gone to maybe a year prior were also present in that service, but I was there by myself as opposed to going to the wedding with a bunch of other guys that I could, I don't know, process it with. Whereas this time it was all me and I don't know. It just hit me way differently. Just And it was a much smaller church. That's part of it for me. Uh, the wedding I had gone to was in this big Greek Orthodox church, whereas this was a tiny, I won't say tiny, but way smaller uh, Russian tradition Orthodox church. And I was surrounded by these icons and getting hit by this incense. <laughs> and yeah, I just just like, wow, this is really, it's still really weird, but I'm willing to ask questions because like I said, I was kind of at the end of my rope on what I knew Christianity to be, which was exclusively Protestant. Nate, I think you described somewhere in uh, in a blog that you had a conversation with the priest there, the Orthodox priest, and it was kind of revelatory that all these strange items you were looking at, you know, on the walls of the church and the altar and all of that, they had meaning. They had all sorts of meanings that you might not have uh, been able to guess before you came in there and that the uh, conversation kind of revealed this whole other world in a way. Yeah, uh, I had many conversations with that priest. Huh. I kind of owe, I mean, I feel like I owe everything to him. If it wasn't for him, I'd still be Protestant for sure. Because, huh. uh, yeah, I started to meet with him maybe weekly, bi-weekly, pretty often. And uh, just to ask questions. I was just like, what is going on here? <laughs> tell me the history. Tell me whether all the stuff that I've been told my whole life is is accurate. 
and, I was, and that ended up being a lot of questions about Catholicism. Like, why yeah. are y'all not in union with the Catholic Church? Mm -hmm. And what validity is there to that whole history? Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of the same questions I would have asked the Catholic priest, I was asking him. Yeah. And he was answering them. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, the answers just, would have been, in some ways, would have been somewhat similar, not identical. So. But yeah, mm -hmm. pointing, pointing in the same direction, you might say. You know, um, I come from a Protestant family. I converted to Catholicism um, in adulthood, but I definitely was thinking about my family's reaction. How did, how did your family take the news? What did they make of it? And is it, you know, a harmonious kind of thing or kind of complicated? It's a little complicated, but I'd say fairly harmonious overall. Good. Good. Um, because the part that I have not mentioned yet is that by the time I was ready to convert to Catholicism, I learned that my mom's biological family is actually Catholic, huh. but she was adopted. And huh. I never, to my knowledge, met any of her biological family until mm -hmm. adulthood, recent adulthood, like the past five years. So huh. um, her extended family, that is. I knew some of my aunts and uncles, but beyond that, almost nothing. But then I learned that my grandparents, my great grandparents, and probably beyond that, were Black Catholics in uh, wow. the hmm. South, the North, and wherever else they roamed. Yeah, well, that's a good segue to my next question, which is, what's your origin story in discovering? You know, you're a great writer on the history of Black Catholicism, I believe. You know, uh, for folks who don't know, you've written the Black Catholic Wikipedia pages. I'm always a big fan of anyone who takes on a Wikipedia writing service uh, project. Um, what's your origin story of kind of discovering that history of the Black Catholic Church, the presence, you know, you called it a conundrum that, you know, there's all these famous Black Catholics, Simone Biles, Toni Morrison, Kobe mm -hmm. Bryant. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear how you kind of, uh, what was your journey in discovering that whole history and becoming so into it that you would be a writer on it yourself? Yeah, it started out on the local level for me in San Francisco, because I'd say for the first period, even after I decided, you know, Catholicism was the way I wanted to go, I didn't know anything about Black Catholicism. I was attending, uh, you know, pretty mainstream Catholic churches and, um, I don't, I don't know exactly what my first introduction was to it, but I know one of the first things that I did once I found out about it was read Father Cyprian Davis's History of Black Catholics in the United States. Because I mean, any anyone in the know will tell you that's where to start because that's just, it was the first book I think written on that history just generally. Um, so yeah, he's a legend. That book is legendary. And after I read it, I was like, okay, I think I, uh, or partway through reading it, I was like, I think this is something I need to latch onto if I can. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, there's, uh, I think three black Catholic parishes in San Francisco hmm. and probably a half dozen more on the East Bay in Oakland and near mm -hmm. Berkeley. So yeah, I dove right in and it was, it was awesome. I haven't looked back. Oh, oh. And that kind of, I would say that kind of cemented my, I'm going to become Catholic mindset. Like I was pretty much already there, but that was just like, okay, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely do this. Huh. And I should mention also that 
I was attending an Eastern Catholic church at first. I went from Eastern Orthodox to Eastern Catholic because, huh. you know, that was all I knew of ancient Christianity to that point. And I enjoyed the Eastern traditions. But then when I found about Black Catholicism, I was like, okay, I can, I can be in the Latin church too. Hmm. I've got what might be a kind of an odd sounding question. You know, we're at, a, we're at an interesting moment. Um, I mean, not only nationally, but I think you're at an interesting moment. I'm not sure maybe you could have seen all this coming in terms of all of a sudden, everybody wants to do a podcast conversation with you. And there's something about the connection between black Catholics and uh, the whole you know, uprising over racial justice once again in this country, which you know, a lot of people might have thought was not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you've sort of been thrust into a new conversation and I wondered if just in a general way, how do, you, how, do you, how do you see this moment? What do you think is going on here in terms of your visibility and maybe maybe a kind of a platform in some way? What, what do you make of that? You know, I think I am just lucky. I don't think I'm especially qualified. I think it just has yeah. happened that way. Yeah. Just maybe because I'm super active on... Twitter. <laughs> that's, that's probably all my it takes, end. Right? That's all it takes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I, even there though. I wasn't the first to, you know, be about Black Catholicism, but sure, you know, it's it's caught on with the right people, I guess. So now I've kind of been thrust into this, you know, talk about Black Catholic stuff, which I am beyond willing to do, and it's yeah, what I want yeah. to do for the rest yeah. of my life. So. Um, yeah, I guess it, it just kind of came out of nowhere and I'm I'm enjoying it. And, and I'm trying to try to stick to the places that uh, that people have not already done stuff, like, mm -hmm. like creating the Wikipedia thing. Like it just wasn't there. That's the reason I created it. And there's so many black Catholics and even non-black Catholics doing the work to, you know, emphasize and uplift black Catholics and make sure that history is known. So I'm just trying to figure out where there's still stuff, new stuff that can be done. And the vehicle that's now kind of gonna capture this work is called the Black Catholic Messenger. You can find out at blackcatholicmessenger.com. What's your vision for the Black Catholic Messenger? What are you hoping to, um, what's, what are your hopes for it? I hope it'll be um, a Catholic media outlet like the ones that exist currently, except, you know, there will be a bunch of Black Catholics writing about <laughs> Black Catholic news. Uh, and there's even Protestant Black Christian news models that we're looking at because we think those are important too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, again, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I kind of just want to fill a space that's not being filled already which there are black Catholic writers writing for other publications, but uh, it doesn't seem like we have a publication of our own and haven't <laughs> for like 125 years. So <laughs> it's probably time. <laughs> and what's your, you know, if you got to, you know, if you were meeting with the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops, um, I, I won't go up to the Pope yet. We'll just start with America. <laughs> um, um, if you were meeting with them, and they were asking you of what kind of how the church is doing with regard to 
Um, you know, it's, this is always an annoying thing white commentators say, like with regard to the black community or something. So I'm not going to go there, but I'll say like with regard to kind of the Black Lives Matter protests, the fight for racial justice, with regard to the black Catholic community, what would be your hopes? What would you tell the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops um, that what is what is it doing well? What what is what needs to change? Where does the focus need to go? Um, What's your read on kind of the church's relationship to this community so far? What would I have the courage to say? I'm not exactly sure. What I will tell you that I would say okay. here in this <laughs> external conversation is that in their two, I believe, statements, official USCCB statements concerning the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement, they have not to my knowledge, mentioned the words Black Lives Matter and certainly have not said Black Lives Matter. Uh, whereas on the other hand, the joint statement from the National Black Catholic Clergy Caucus, National Black Sisters Conference, Bowman Francis Ministry, and the Institute for Black Catholic Studies, I believe, they did say, quote, Black Lives Matter, we support this movement. Um, and people always make that distinction between the movement and the organization. And to my knowledge, they didn't feel the need to do that um, because it's important to just support the fact that Black Lives Matter, which the USCCB hasn't directly done yet. Individual bishops have, priests have, sisters have, but they haven't come together and just come right out and said it. So that's that's probably the first thing I'd want them to know is that we we see that, we know that. Uh, I put that on the Wikipedia so that everybody who, who wants to know will know that. <laughs> <laughs> and I got it from somebody else. I didn't just figure that out. But um, yeah. yeah, I think that's probably the main thing they need to know. And maybe secondarily, that they should support those organizations, national Black Catholic organizations that um, that sometimes we feel like those are the only big groups that are going gonna fight for us. So if y'all are gonna say it, at least prop up those people who are. You know, um, Salary Hall was partly founded, not entirely, but partly founded with the idea that Pope Francis was putting out some ideas that American Catholics and Americans in general were having a really hard time hearing, you know? So, and we wanted to explore a little bit. We wanted to translate, translate. What is he saying? Where does this come from? What does it really mean? Is it something weird, radically different? Is it something actually very much in continuity with his predecessors and so on? So we, we sort of took on that job of trying to be um, a kind of a platform for those ideas, get those ideas into the American conversation. You know what I'm wondering is whether this could be a moment where in some ways uh, the messenger, your new publication, you know, it seems to me is, could be pointing toward some initiatives or, or um, revisited uh, history in the way that Pope Francis is saying, you know, we've had a very Eurocentric church and that's, that time is over. We need to be looking at the global South. We need to be understanding that so many Catholics now are in Africa and South America and other places. It's, it's really no longer a European church. And that means something. Mm -hmm. 
that changes some things, you know. Um, I, I wonder whether the American church wouldn't benefit greatly from a conversation that came out of black Catholics that said, you know what, we're in a somewhat similar position. We have been overlooked and undervalued and we've been, uh, you know, uh, patient disciples, but there's something that the rest of you folks need to hear. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, yeah, I hope I hope that the messenger will be in that in that tradition. Cool. Because we're, I mean, even since the late '60s or maybe even the '50s, you could say that Black Catholics have been saying what what you're describing is Pope Francis's uh, orientation now. So like. Yep. We were a bit ahead of the game on that, and we kind of had to be to exactly to survive, to yep. Yep. to grow, to to spark that kind of unique enculturated movement among ourselves as Black Catholics in America. Um, and I think we've been banging the drum ever since, just to one extent or another. And yeah, in a, in a publication of our own, as I said, hopefully that we're part of that that banging, that drum banging. Mm -hmm. And I've read that to kind of get into some of the content of what you've kind of discovered and, and amplified. Um, I read that you're an applicant to the Josephites. And for our listeners who don't know what the Josephites are, who they are, could you tell us a little bit about uh, them? Yeah, Josephites were founded in 1893, I believe, by John Slattery, along with a team of about half a dozen other guys, including the first Black Catholic priest ordained in America, Charles' uncles. Um, and they were spun off of the Mill Hill Fathers, who were a UK missions organization that came to America to work with Black Catholics. So uh, Father Slattery spun off the Josephites as an American version of that, doing the same thing, saying we are here to work with African-Americans. And they've been doing it ever since. Uh, they have black parishes all over the country and they're often called in to well i can't say often i don't know how often but in the past uh they were often called in to parishes that were predominantly black that needed you know that specific kind of ministry and uh, so yeah they've they've been at it ever since and the order has never been an all black order and for a while they didn't allow black priests pretty much at all um, now they have many um, so yeah, it's it's dedicated to to Black Catholics all over the USA, and hopefully we'll have more Black priests now because I know most of their vocations come from Nigeria. So they're definitely in the 2020 era of American Catholicism. <laughs> cool, cool. You know, I I don't want to diverge too sharply, but I want to mention some research I've been doing on the Black Catholic priest Father Albert McKnight. And the reason this came up is because Valdery Hall is very interested in sort of third way economics. It's interested in um, social justice, but in particular, the Catholic social teachings that are often underpinning social justice. So, for example, we've been aware of Father Jose Maria Arizmendi, the Basque priest that founded Mondragon. And we are, um, I'm happy to say, uh, within a few months of publishing a new English language translation of his reflections, which are mm -hmm. some remarkable 
thinking about organization and cooperativism and what you might almost think of as business school uh, reading, except that it's uh, much more philosophical and, uh, you know, interesting than that. Yeah. You know, he, um, he came along at the same time as a thing called the Cody Institute in Canada. And Father Albert McKnight, as a young guy, maybe before the priesthood, I'm not sure, went up and got trained in cooperativism in Canada, then went to Louisiana and is the founder of the Southern Cooperative Movement. And if you read uh, in, in uh, Black History, if you read Jessica Nimhart's book, Collective Courage, uh, Father McKnight was creating a network of cooperatives that were part of the foundation, part of the substructure of the civil rights movement. In addition to the churches, mm -hmm. there were all these mutual aid organizations, you know, which are kind of forgotten now, mostly. Apparently uh, so, yeah. Right? It's, this is like lost history. But, but what's amazing is that this needs to be recovered. And if you go to Jackson, Mississippi, right, the, the mayor of Jackson, Chuck Willamumba, specifically imitated Mondragon uh, a few years ago in creating a civic project for uh, worker cooperatives and social cooperatives and so on in the city. And Cooperation Jackson is the outcome of that wow. um, program. And I, I know some of the people down there know it came from Mondragon. I wonder how many of them realize that Mondragon really is Father Jose Maria Arismendi. Um, so yeah, there's an there's a interesting wow. black Catholic and, and minority Catholic conversation here that we got we to gotta foreground. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when Paul Bowman told me about Father McKnight and I was like, yeah, I don't know who that is, but right. I need to read yeah. as much about him as possible. There's not much on uh, Because Catholics, black and white, are seen as kind of background characters, if characters at all, in the civil rights movement. So that aspect you just mentioned is extremely yeah. fascinating. Um, and I'm a personal fan, devotee to uh, Father Arisman Darietta, because he, uh, ah. there's a bakery chain in San Francisco named yes. after him. That's one of my favorite bakeries. bakeries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also there's, there's a cooperative. Like big posters yeah. of them in each one. Mm -hmm. I don't know each one, but the one I went to. I love oh, that. Cool. Cool. Good stuff. The, um, I'd love, you know, for, to hear a bit about kind of, you know, I, one of my favorite, uh, uh, Father James F. Keenan questions is what makes Catholicism special among all the other, you know, everything has its own special kind of thing it gives to the tradition and mm -hmm. what is different about Catholicism than other uh, traditions. And he says the, his, his uh, offering is that Catholicism, uh, Catholics are, have a special, specialty at mercy, the willingness to enter into the chaos of others. That was his offering. Um, and I'd love to hear, you know, growing up the son of a, a preacher, uh, growing up Protestant and then becoming Catholic, you yeah. know, what what is kind of the special, what in your view is the special thing Catholicism has to offer? Um, I know that's such a grand question, but maybe you have an angle on that as someone. I was a cradle Catholic, so I, I know nothing else. That's why I'm Catholic. <laughs> and um, and so I'd love to hear just kind of what, what's been your experience uh, that way with the church. Uh, well, the Catholic church is 
Little C Catholic. It incorporates so many different things, uh, often things that even Catholics themselves don't expect because we still live in our little world, even if we're a part of this global church. But yeah, it can house so much. And I'm glad that it does because that's part of why Black Catholicism can exist and thrive within within its borders because you know there's so much freedom in my opinion mm -hmm. to express who you are culturally and that that shakes out a lot of different ways um, and still be able to call yourself Catholic and have it be true and not not worthy of being questioned although sometimes it still is questioned but no. you know at the end of the day I know that I know that the Catholic Church is true and also is truly global in a, in a cultural sense. One more uh, random question. I know I'm jumping around, but there's so much to talk about. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, you say that the Black Catholic Messenger arises out of this tradition of Daniel Rudd's American Catholic Tribune. And you say, Definitely. you know, we're doing the first thing in 120, 130 years or something. Um, tell us a little bit about that. And, you know, so I just love stories of turn of the century organizations. It seems like all the great organizations were started in like 1890 or something. Um, so I'd love to hear just the, I, I, I eat up any story of like a great, a great 1890 uh, organization. Yeah, first, I should say that I fibbed a little bit. It's not that there's been nothing in 125 years, but very little. And it seems like Daniel Rudd's Tribune is definitely the best known and la longest lasting of any black Catholic newspaper uh, ever. And uh, yeah, it seems like a lot of stuff that happened between emancipation and the end of reconstruction is A, forgotten and B, incredibly important. Uh, I shouldn't say just the end of reconstruction, but just that period of like uh, legalized Jim Crow in the yeah. early 1900s. But yeah, that period, of some measure of freedom kind of produced some amazing things, including Daniel Rudd's enterprises. And uh, for him, it arose really from his, his belief, deep belief in the power of the Catholic church and of journalism to impact society. And to me, that's so powerful because he has so many powerful statements. Like I think he said uh, that the Catholic church is the hope of the Negro people in America, which is like so, Countercultural to, yeah. to even even among black people like they would we would never as a group as a black community come out and say something like that because most of us aren't catholic right but uh he built this movement pretty much on that principle that like black uplift doesn't mean we have to leave behind the catholic church this large and very white in america organization so so yeah, I mean, we got to dig into that as an organization and as a community because that is, uh, as, he's, as he said, uh, worthy of investigation. He says, like my black brothers and sisters, just investigate, find out. Because huh. there's so much ignorance involved, just mm -hmm. people not knowing, never being exposed to it, forming assumptions without any real experience. And that was me my whole life. So mm -hmm. if I can help counter that in the larger black community that'd be awesome you know another kind of educational awakening i think has been going on maybe just in the last few years and then accelerated 
you know, by the by the protest uh, a few months ago, and that is, people are discovering, because books, numerous books now are being written, that structural racism is not a fantasy. You know, if you read The Color of Law, there's a long list of books that are documenting the way the system worked. And we now have this in great detail. So, so I think it's, it's a shock to some Americans to realize that we've now got the data on this. And now in the Catholic context, the next question is, how do we communicate that structural racism is also, um, I, I guess what the, uh, what John Paul II or any of his successors would call structural sin. Mm. How can we talk about structural sin? In the past, it was, it got to be about suspicions around Marxist sounding language or something. I don't think we can worry about that anymore. I think that's kind of an old objection, sort of obsolete. I, th I think we have the data, we have the books on the shelf. Catholics have got to wake up about this. How do you, how do you think that could be approached? Uh, I can't say I'm super knowledgeable or an expert on this. It's uh, something I still have to work through myself. I mean, it, structural racism, structural sin is not a mystery in the black community. Hmm. It's not a point, it's, it's really not a point of debate among no, us right. because right. Yeah, we no, no. I mean, I mean to other Catholics, I guess. Yeah, I'll, do, I'll do an edit to Elias' statement. White Catholics have to wake up I was, I, <laughs> People are watching what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the opening, you know, particularly young. It's, it's young. the old Chris Rock joke about uh, uh, racial progress is progress of white people getting better. <laughs> not, not, yeah. not progress of communities. Yes, I don't know what is. There is a subset in the black community. I want to say, especially among black Catholics, like hmm. there's a subset who are on the more conservative side and would say, you know, structural racism isn't the, isn't the problem. Hmm. Rarely they might say it doesn't exist, but um, yeah, I probably shouldn't go deep into that because that's certainly not a significant portion. But um, but yeah, on the on the whole, black people are are on the same page about that. Yeah, and uh, how do we get other people on that same page? It's it's a difficult question to answer. The reason it's so uncontroversial to us is because we live it, and yeah. uh, everybody has their story about how they've seen it or how they're still seeing it. Whereas for the people who never experienced it, how do you convince them? Who've never experienced it and for that reason mm -hmm. deny it, how do you convince them without somehow, you know, making them live it? Yeah. I don't know that such a thing can be done. You just have to stay consistent, keep telling yeah, your stories, right. keep, uh, keep advocating. And some people are just, they're never gonna get on board. It's not a problem right. that Right. Not a problem you can so much fix for a certain external demographic, but just more so something you you help the people who are actually experiencing it um, overcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think about if the internet is something that's going to help in this regard. You know, when Daniel uh, Rudd was making the American Catholic Tribune, he had to, you know, find a printing press. He had to kind of, mm -hmm. Dorothy Day had to go to the street corner selling the Catholic worker for one cent. And my, my hope is that, you know, a flurry of these story, if it's about storytelling, if it's about voices being raised up, you know, the, the pace can be quicker in making things change, hopefully. Yeah, um, I hope so. And there's one fun fact about Daniel Rudd is that uh, 
his paper is known <clears throat> by some to be the first uh, black newspaper printed by and for black Americans. Mm -hmm. So like, you don't even have to add the word Catholic in there is that he owned his own printing wow. press. Wow. Wow. Printing okay. his own paper. And because oh. of the partnerships he made, got it up to like a readership of 10,000 at some point. Um, but yeah, that's one thing that makes his unique. And hopefully in 2020, <laughs> we can, we have a little bit of that built in and that we don't have to, we don't have to build our own printing press. We kind of own our own operations in a sense, because we're still going to use someone else's service to, you know, get it out and make it look nice. But, um, but yeah, hopefully the door is a little bit wider open now than it was in the late 19th century. <laughs> well, Nate, you're a reader of history and theology. You're interested in liturgy. I'm wondering how, the, how far the messenger might go in talking about those subjects, but maybe also is there any interest in, in kind of a conversation with other Black theologians and are there traditions? And I was thinking about people like James Cone or today, you know, Cornell West, Willie Jennings. Um, there are also Black Catholic theologians in their own right, of course, publishing. But what are your thoughts on that? Or is that getting a little too academic, maybe? I think the academic side is important. Uh, yeah haven't really thought through how we're going to integrate all of the, the big thinkers on the topic. But um, I mean, James Coney's unavoidable as it concerns yeah. Black Catholic theology, academic Black Catholic theology. So um, yeah, he, he'll, he'll play a part, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, if we can get some of those big voices involved, Catholic uh, and non-Catholic, depending mm -hmm. on relevance, mm -hmm. that would be awesome in my view. Because at the end of the day, the black community is is diverse as far as Christianity goes, and so a lot of the issues that we would cover are not they're not restricted to black Catholics. Um, mm -hmm. Yep, it may be relevant to us, but not just to us. Yeah, I'd be interested in you know what you mentioned. We're a global church. Um, is there, you know, what is the, has, has there been an experience or things you've read about for people who don't know about this kind of about the black Catholics that, you know, the, the difference between American black Catholics and international kind of black Catholics um, and kind of the diaspora generally. And if there's, um, if there's kind of uh, collaboration across lines or tensions across lines, what has been the, for people who don't know about the kind of nuances of all that. Um, you know, there, there was a chance that, you know, in the final running on Pope, there was gonna, you know, there, I forgot the name of the Cardinal, but there was a, uh, in, the, in the kind of short list, there was, an, there was someone from an African country um, and kind of what the relationship to black Catholicism to the larger global uh, black Catholic community, American black Catholicism to the larger global black Catholic community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's probably Cardinal Lorenze yeah. that they're talking about. I'm not sure though, but uh, we've got, I have gotten a lot of questions so far about that um, because Black Catholic doesn't necessarily tell you what country we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, that said, Black Catholic is almost exclusively used to refer to um, African-Americans rather than yeah. others. So when I talk about that, my main focus is African-Americans, people descended from uh, slavery here in USA, but 
I don't know that it should be restricted to that because so many of our parishes and the larger Black Catholic conversation in America does involve <clears throat> immigrant African Catholics and their descendants. So, um, yeah, I don't know where yet to draw that line. That's an interesting question. There, there are three million African American Catholics mm -hmm. in this country. So, but globally, has anyone ever tried to compute how many uh, Black Catholics there could be in the world? I don't remember the number now, but happens, I, yeah. I think it's uh, a quarter of the church overall. Wow, wow, yeah. Wow. Um, so check in. Huh. Yeah, we're, we're, we're small here in America, but that's yeah. only when you separate us out as just the American diaspora of yeah. slave-descended Black Catholics. Is there any history on kind of these major moments, these major kind of moral, mo you know, we're reaching a, I don't know if it's going to be as large as the other major ones in American history, but, but these moral moments where the church has to take a stand on something. And for those who don't know the history, you know, if there's any stories you could share or kind of nuances of this, like where did the American Catholic Church stand in the slavery kind of in the freedom struggle for abolition and in the 60s in the freedom struggle for civil rights? Um, it's not really well reported in the popular, you know, in, in the popular, like learn what you learn about in history class or what's kind of in, in the air with mm -hmm. folks um, where the church stood on these things. You know, I, I, I'm half Jewish. So I, I, I did learn a bit on like where the church stood on the Holocaust, another complicated question. Um, but uh, I'd be uh, some, some cross currents of good, really good stuff. Some cross currents of real cowardly stuff. Um, and uh, I'd be interested in what you've learned in your research on kind of slavery and civil rights. Yeah, so before I try to recall their stories from off the top of my head, I'll just say everybody who wants to know the answer to that should buy Cyprian Davis's History uh, of Black Catholics in the yeah. United States okay. and also okay. Stephen J. Ox, Desegregating the Altar, The Struggle for the Black Priesthood. Hmm. I think that's the subtitle, but uh, they both go pretty in depth into that question. And I'll tell you that the American Catholic Church, generally speaking, did not stand where it should have for a really long time, mm -hmm. because uh, even while the Vatican was like, here's what y'all need to do, the American Catholic bishops were kind of like, mm -hmm. nah, <laughs> mm -hmm. they're good. They're doing fine. Black Catholics, they're good. They're good. <laughs> right. Whereas Black Catholics are like, no, help. And that lasted from, God knows, emancipation all the way up to past the 1970s, mm -hmm. during which, in the 1970s, Black Catholics literally bypassed the bishops and went to the Vatican and said, they, the bishops are lying to you. Wow. The delegation of Black wow. Catholics went to the, I think it was Vatican Secretary of State and said, mm. the American bishops are lying to you. There is a Black Catholic exodus happening mm. and they're telling you everything's fine. Wow. And I have, I, I wasn't alive. I don't know what was really going on, but I tell you, I know that that event and meeting went down. So, um, so yeah, dating back to slavery, it was worse. They were, they were totally in control and totally uh, neglecting us. And that was that, was that for, for a long time. But um, that, that spurred Black Catholics to organize and do for themselves what, what their own bishops wouldn't, most of their own bishops wouldn't. Hmm. You know, there's a famous photograph of uh, Martin Luther King marching uh, arms linked with Father Theodore Hesburgh, Ted Hesburgh, the president of the University of Notre Dame. 
And actually there are five or six people spread out in a line uh, in parallel uh, marching. And a few years ago here, I, I'm living in South Bend now down the street from Notre Dame. And so somebody at the university and it might've been Mayor Pete got together and said, why don't we create, why don't we celebrate this moment in a way? And the way to do it is by creating a statue, a double statue. So over on the campus of the university, there is now, I guess a life-size statue. I haven't actually gone over there to check it out in person, but it's, it's Dr. King and, and President Hesburgh, arms linked, but they're the only two. The rest of the people are, are not there. And so there was a kind of a civic celebration and you, you know, you can sort of imagine how this goes. Mm -hmm. um, Cornel West made the comment, we reached the moment where there's been a kind of a Santa Clausification of Dr. King. He's he's completely harmless. He's completely harmless. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so I you know I, I I think of this as kind of like typical of the way the church might approach racial justice, and and that's uh that's harsh and that's an oversimplification because there's there's tons of religious sisters, you know, aside from the bishops that had did great work and, you know, there certainly was significant. Catholic involvement in the civil rights movement. But on the whole, it's not a pretty picture. Mm -mm. Just like uh, Pete discovered on the Holocaust, it's not a pretty picture. So, so sometimes there's this kind of formal, the bishops make a statement, you know, okay, but then how far does it go? Does it activate anyone? Does it propose anything really dramatic that we do business differently? It's a, the church is just, you know, a Very intractable thing, as you, <laughs> as you are a new guy, but have already discovered. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I saw an article in the New York Times come out recently about the scandal of becoming Catholic in an age like this, where you kind of have to <laughs> not just defend the doctrines of the church, but also just the fact that on the ground, the church can be so messy. Oh. It's like, why would you want to join something like exactly. that? Exactly. Um, for me, because it's true, but yeah there's just there's a lot of other stuff going on and misrepresenting black history is often a big part of it that's that's how really sad you, how do you balance that you know um i i really uh respect folks that kind of uh join join things basically join things and make them better instead of kind of uh there's that famous uh quote, you know, book from the mid-century called Exit Versus Voice. And it was, we can always choose to exit something when we don't like it, or we can raise our voice. And I always respect people that don't say like, it's messy, I'm done. But instead say, it's messy, I'm going to raise my voice to make it better. And, you know, how do you balance kind of joining something, becoming integrated into something, and kind of pointing out what's right in front of your eyes about, you know, the problems with it? How, how do you navigate that personally? What choice do I have? I think uh, yeah. <laughs> when I when I jumped into the church on a religious level, it's, what what else can I do once I'm in other than whatever deal with whatever's right in front of me? And eventually, that became the kind of hiddenness of Black Catholicism in the larger conversation. Uh, which again is not to say that no one else is doing work, um, but there were certain spaces where it was not being seen and. Uh, it was exciting to me 
to see, oh, something can be done here. I, it's not hopeless. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that excites me. Joining the church was, was it was no big deal for me, but doing this work now is, is, is the challenge that, I, that I'm, I'm loving so far. Very good, very good. All right, Pete, any other final thoughts? Yeah, no, we're so thankful for you coming on. Let's do the plugs. Where, how can people kind of support your work in this? Um, is it blackcatholicmessenger.com? Yeah, but they may need to put www. in front of it, old school, because I'm still working out the tech aspect. If they don't put that in front, it might not go there. But okay. um, yeah, pretty much everything they need to know is is there or linked to from there. We've got a fundraiser going. We're trying to get nonprofit status and hmm. yeah. And the, the Twitter is Natum Up and <laughs> the and website is as well. <clears throat> and the uh, Twitter handle of uh, the Black Catholic Messenger is BLK Calf Stories, BLK CATH Stories on Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. Any final words uh, you'd like to share with our listeners? Any final thoughts we didn't cover? Uh, Hashtag support black Catholics. That's the <laughs> model. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Well, if I could do it, I would play, I would take us out with some uh, final bumper music from uh, from SoundCloud. Uh, oh, if we boy. can't do that, we'll, nonetheless, we'll wish you well. And thanks for thanks for sitting in with us. This was a great conversation. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. This Good is, luck with this all this great amazing. stuff. Man. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Peace.